0: snuff production Hello, Katrina Blowers and Tom Tilly here with you and welcome to an Australia Day special episode of The Briefing. And I guess uh, a big shout out to any of you who are celebrating this modern nation we've become. And also, if you see this as a day that marks a devastating historical turning point for Indigenous Australians who've been living here for tens of thousands of years before those British ships landed in Sydney Harbour in 1788. It is, I guess, a complicated day Tom?
1: Yeah I think for me personally it it can be a bit of both celebrating what we've achieved but also acknowledging that this particular day does mark a real day of sadness and mourning for some people and and one of the great things that happens around Australia Day, happened last night, Australia Day Eve is the announcement of the Australian of the Year Awards. It happens in Canberra. Um, I've been there for it before and it's just so exciting. You just find out about so many great things people have done.
0: Mm, Yeah, last year, of course, who can forget Grace Tame. She's had a huge impact on the way that we think about sexual assault. And you might have heard the exciting news about last night's overall winner. The
1: 2022 Australian of the Year is Dylan Alcock. Winning grand slams and gold
0: medals
2: isn't my purpose. It's like the number, the 30th priority of my life. My purpose is changing perceptions so people with disability, people like me, can get out there and live the lives that they deserve to live. It was my purpose yesterday, it's my purpose today, and it will be my purpose as your Australian of the Year for the next 12 months and beyond. And I really hope I make every single one of you proud. Thank you very much.
1: Yes, such a deserved winner. Now, a story you might not see as much coverage of, but is also mind-blowing, is the winner of the Young Australian of the Year, the 26-year-old Doctor Daniel Noor.
0: Now we invite the Prime Minister to announce the 2022 Young Australian of the Year.
1: Thank you. The Young Australian of the Year for 2022 is Dr. Daniel Noor.
0: So Daniel founded a medical service for homeless people. It is called Streetside Medics. He started it in August 2020. Incredible how it began. It all started from a chance moment on the streets of London where he saw a homeless man surrounded by people having a seizure.
1: Daniel, tell us about that moment when you were on the footpath in London, the moment that gave you the idea for Streetside Medics. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I had just finished a shift at the Imperial College and was getting back to my hotel accommodation, which is Waterloo in London. As I walked out of the train station, I noticed that there was sort of a crowd surrounding one person. And initially I thought potentially it was a busker or a musician. And so I approached, but I I realised quite quickly that it was someone that was having a seizure. So I just went in and you you kind of leave them to continue seizing, but you create a soft and safe space so that they don't harm themselves. And then once they stop seizing, you just try and... You know, protect their airways and keep them stable, which is what I did. And then the paramedics took him away. Now, it's somewhat obvious that he was experiencing homelessness. But what I hadn't realized is, of the people surrounding me, a number of them were his friends who were also experiencing homelessness, and many of them had a, a trolley with all of their life belongings there with them. And it was actually the conversation with them after which served as, I guess, the the real motivation. You know, they thanked me for helping him, but. They said that he's been having seizures for many months, but it normally occurred a few streets away in a side street or an alleyway where they were sleeping. And not too many people had noticed and he didn't want to go and see a doctor. And And I asked them, I said, you know, why haven't you taken him to see a general practitioner or a doctor or the emergency department? And they kind of just chuckled and exploring that further, they had this genuine sense that the healthcare system cared less for them than any other average person in society and that they were just based on their prior histories. Uh, One of the ladies was sort of particularly interested in telling me that previously she had used substances but hadn't for many years. But whenever she went to the emergency department with a a real medical issue, she would just be seen as, as a drug addict. And so many of them had a number of medical conditions that they just treated themselves because they were afraid they were going to be judged they had previous negative experiences and this gentleman who had been having seizures was in the same position. And she made a point again to emphasize this person didn't do drugs and didn't do alcohol, suggesting he had an organic reason for his seizures. And so that was a slap in the face for me. I My brother had suffered from many medical conditions uh, when he was younger and I spent a lot of time in hospital with him, you know, as a young kid. And I could see the impact that the healthcare system had on my family. I, I loved the healthcare system and I admired it so much, and that's why I spent sort of six years of my life dedicated to learning as much as I could to be the best doctor that I could so I could give back to society and to hear someone like her tell me that, you know, she felt like we didn't care about her. I guess that hurt. It was, it was a slap in the face, and I had volunteered for a food service for many years before that, and I somewhat recognised that, I guess, for them, health isn't very high on their priority list. Sometimes they're more concerned, understandably, for food, for shelter, for companionship, that they're not so worried about why they're short of breath or why they've got an ulcer on their leg or why their vision's getting worse. They're just they're fighting day to day.
0: Does it blow your mind a little bit, you know, if you hadn't walked that particular route at that particular time, you would never have even seen this incident, which has really just changed the course of your whole life?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I had always thought, I wonder what medical conditions are in this population. When I was at the food service, I remember this lady that had a tremor in her hand. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder what that is. Or I remember there was also a guy who was blind and he had a lesion on his face. And I remember thinking, I wonder if he knows that he's got a lesion on his face and whether that could be cancer. And so I was always curious, but it was that moment with the lady that made me realize we're wrong. Like, we're doing this wrong here. The expectation that patients will and should come to us in our brick and mortar structures when they need to it's not working. It's not working for this population. And as a result, they're suffering and they're suffering in silence. And they're suffering because they think we either don't care or it's too hard. It's hard for you and I to go to a medical center these days. You have to go between a set amount of times for a set duration at a certain location. And I guess COVID has allowed us to have telehealth, which has improved access to healthcare. But previously you had even for say business people or lawyers during a nine to five, it was a struggle for them to get to a medical center. Now try and imagine someone who doesn't have a car, who doesn't have means of transportation, who might not have finances to get into a bus or a train, or who feels embarrassed to sit in a medical room and wait to see a general practitioner who's busy with 12 other people waiting to see him, but this person wants to offload what they've got on their mind and what they're experiencing. And so the system just wasn't made for them. And I think that's where... Streetside Medics came in and it was clear that something needed to change. And it was time for us to take the medical service to them. And not just the medical service, take a medical service that was outstanding and that ensured that when they left at the end of their interaction, there was an objective improvement in their health, or at least they're on the right track. And so we're not just going out there and doing blood pressures and and checking their blood sugar and telling them you should come in and see a clinic. We've got the capability to do blood tests and get blood test results in the van and provide them medication and do investigations, whether it be an ultrasound or an ECG or a spirometry. And so it's really trying to take as much of the resources as we can to them in a space that's convenient
1: for them. Yeah, it's amazing what you've created. Tell us more about the scale you're operating on. You launched it in August of 2020. How many people do you have working and volunteering with you and and how many people are you able to reach?
2: Yeah, so we've grown from... Two people, myself and one GP, back in August, to over 250 volunteers now, of whom we have over 100 doctors. We've just launched our second van, which is exciting, uh, which we're looking at going to regional New South Wales, so hopefully areas like Newcastle and Wollongong and further up and down the coast. And with regards to reach, it's been an interesting year. COVID certainly has thrown a few curveballs. Both some good and some bad, but we've interacted with thousands of patients over the last 18 months and had hundreds of patient interactions and have built quite a large database of both regular patients who come back and see us and continue to have follow up, but also patients that we see transiently who have sort of transient needs that we're able to support them through.
0: I can't imagine it would have been entirely straightforward launching something like this, which hasn't been done before. Would have been some of the biggest sticking points? Have you nearly thrown in the towel on occasion?
2: Many, many, many times. Um, I guess my biggest fear was failure and I never thought I could do it. I always thought um, it was an ambitious idea and who am I to think, who am I to have the audacity to think that I can pull this off? But I guess being young and being naive, I was a bit oblivious to just how tough it could be. And I was just oblivious to how hard and how many barriers we would have to overcome. And that worked in my advantage because if I had known that that was to come, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I just took it step at a time. I could see where I needed to go. And I just did that. Step one was get a law firm to help us register as a charity. And that was my goal. And I just hustled and, and then got that. And the second van was to get a van. And we just did that. And then third was to fit out the van And it it wasn't a curated plan. I never knew. I was never, to be honest with you, I was never five steps ahead. I was just taking a step at a time and we're here today.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's beautiful about naivety. It means you do things that otherwise wouldn't be done and wouldn't be ruled out by people who've already done all the calculations and the answer is no. The answer for you was Mm. yes and Mm. you just went ahead and did
2: it. Exactly. What I realize now is that I think organisations, government bodies, and, you know, these structures, they're really good about thinking, about thinking, about thinking, and then planning, about planning, about planning. I find that frustrating as someone that just likes to do things, even if it's not 100% correct yet, just do something. It's better than nothing. Because I find that, like, I've sat in many of these planning meetings and By the time you actually get to an action plan it's one two years down the track and what we were planning for two years ago has changed and so there was a problem we had a solution and we were just going to do it and we were going to work it out and improve it over the time and i think we're we're lucky in the sense that we got it right and don't get me wrong there's still improvements along the way but i think we just had to take action and for this population they've responded really well and they love our service and i think a big part of that is It's a 100% volunteer-run organization. Everyone that is there wants to be there, wants to be there, and that's shown in their actions. That's shown in the way they interact with the patients. And patients respond to that. They can recognize that we're genuine in our attentions. And there's no ulterior motives. No one's getting paid. No one's getting anything. And so within that community, our clinics have been well-received.
0: During your uh, New South Wales Australia Day address where you were the youngest person to give that speech, you said something which really stood out to me and that is, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Mm. Can you unpack Mm. that for us? Love that.
1: Yeah, I love
2: that too. Someone has said it uh, and I don't know who, I should cite them, but I've always found in every aspect of my life, and I, I grew up quite comfortable, but Whenever I was uncomfortable, something needed to change and it always changed for the better. And I'll give you some personal examples. The first time I went through a breakup, I was very uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, I had to analyze what I'm doing in my life and realize that things needed to change, both personally and professionally. So all of a sudden, I went from being okay with getting credits in my studies to really wanting to get distinctions and high distinctions or just things like that and the example I also gave at the address was skydiving and I I know it it might sound like a you know a childish analogy but it's so true when you go skydiving you're so afraid you're so uncomfortable you don't want to be there this you're not made to be jumping out of a plane 13,000 feet above ground but the second you jump out you realize that this is just it's bliss it's so joyful it's such a good feeling and you just had to have I guess that courage to be uncomfortable for a little bit and take that first step. And I mean, I live in the Shire, so I go down to sort of that Shell Harbour region frequently and you see, I think they're called cliff diving or whatever. And you've got to jump off a cliff, fall down, get a little bit of momentum before you can actually take off and like rise and enjoy the view. And I think we're so uncomfortable with falling down and that usually costs us in the long run.
1: Yeah, I think at the core of all of that is the reality that pain is the most informative teacher in the human experience. It's pain that really forces you to think, to scramble, to come up with new ideas. Um, It's an amazing story, your personal story, Daniel, and what you've achieved, but also the way you're talking about it is really impressive that you were the, the son of Egyptian migrants you worked your way to the top of our education system but at the same time wanted to give back so how do you reflect on your journey what was it like growing up the son of Egyptian migrants in this mm. country and how did that shape who you've become it's it, like we I'm not just saying it, uh, like
2: we live in the best country in the world and I'm so lucky that my parents moved here genuinely and I and I owe them everything for that it was beautiful it was amazing I um I never felt different. And I think that was amazing. I mean, we live in such a multicultural country that I never realized that I was different. And I am, I mean, my parents were born in Egypt until I went overseas. I, I would tell people I'm I'm Australian. I'm from Australia. And they said, no, 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 but where are you really from? And so I think that's what Australia does so well. We're very inclusive. We're very supportive. And I, I had a great childhood. I went to a few different schools because I was quite a cheeky kid. And so it took a few schools to get that right. But, Um, No, I must say my childhood in Australia was was
1: amazing. Yeah, how do you reflect on some of the debates around Australia Day? It is at a time where we... I guess, question our national identity. And a lot of people see this day as marking the arrival of the First Fleet, which brought on waves of devastation for Indigenous Australians. But um, I've heard Noel Pearson talk about this in a really interesting way, sort of sees three parts to the Australian story. There's the Australia before European arrival. There's the achievements of the Europeans, but also the costs of that. Mm. But also the contribution of more recent migrants, including... Mm your family, and that our story is really a beautiful, at times painful, but ultimately successful story that weaves together all three of those elements. Yeah, I would
2: share that exactly, to be honest with you. And and I'm still formulating my, my own opinion of it, but I think it's important that we celebrate the amazing... So, So, so the three words, I guess, for this... Australia Days is reflect, respect, celebrate. So we reflect on the things that we've done right and done wrong. And we respect the traditional owners of the land, but also we we respect all the different communities and cultures. But we also celebrate the wins that we're having now and that we've had over the last few years. And I think that's what Australia Day is all about. And I think it's important to do that. Like yesterday I met all the other recipients and it's overwhelming because like you, you're literally meeting the, some of the greatest people in this country, all of whom I could put my hand on heart and say they all didn't expect to be here and they all humbled to be here and we all have a sense of imposter syndrome, which is like, why are we here? Why did they pick us? Like, I'm really just doing my thing And, and, and I think it's important to celebrate that and to cultivate that sort of mindset of if I can do something for the betterment of my society and community, I need to do that.
0: I'd love to just reflect on that a little bit for anyone listening today who has a big idea, a bold idea of some change that they want to affect in in their community, but, you know, maybe is feeling a little bit like, who am I to do this? (laughs) What would you say, having been through what you've been through?
2: Yeah, I think I'd say three things. I would say, firstly, on the other side of fear is greatness, first thing. The second thing is, Those who say they can and those who say they can't are both probably right. And Confucius said that. I do remember that. And it's true. And the analogy I'd give is that if you were, uh, God forbid, underwater and someone was holding you down and you couldn't breathe, all you want to do is breathe. You're not thinking about anything but breathing. And in that moment, that's the only thing on your mind. That's your only drive. And I guess if you're that passionate and that driven to achieve something, There's no one that can stop you. And I guess that brings me to the last point, which is back yourself and just believe in yourself, but also get some people around you that believe in your idea, your mission, your goal, and believe in you, because that's what I needed. I almost pulled the plug after we had registered the charity, bought the van, the van was getting fitted out. I sort of had a week of stress and anxiety, and I went to my mentor, Professor Bindi, who fortunately it kept me going because I was quite literally ready to just find somewhere to park the van, park it for a couple of years whilst I finished my internship and residency. And that was driven by fear, fear of failure.
1: Wow. So inspiring. I am so glad we got you on the podcast.
0: Same.
1: Absolute pleasure. So that was Dr. Daniel Nor. I think mean- how good was that guy, Katrina?
0: Oh my gosh, you know, the favourite part for me of that is hearing that somebody who has achieved so much and done something so extraordinary still has imposter syndrome. That actually makes Mm -hmm. me feel a whole lot better and that he just pushed through it and I guess that's a message for all of us.
1: Yeah, and just those people that no matter how big and challenging the things they're trying to do in their own life are are still thinking, what else could I do for other people at the same time? Mm, Yeah. And his thoughts on Australia Day were really interesting as well, you know, being the son of Egyptian migrants and it was quite refreshing to hear that he didn't feel like his ethnic background really had much impact but then later on learnt more about that and turned it all into sort of, I guess, a, a positive outlook and saw it as motivation and drive for what he's gone on to do.
0: Listener.